Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It's a delight to have you tune in. And this is a Father's Day special. You know, we really have an opportunity every day to honor our mothers and our fathers, our parents. We don't always do it. We don't always do it when the time is right to do it. A lot of us are going to do it after our parents have passed away. Don't feel bad if you weren't able to do it while they were alive because a relationship extends beyond the body, beyond the flesh, into the afterlife, and we are connected to our parents forever. This Father's Day special is to speak about some things about fathers that often don't get mentioned, don't get discussed, and are worthy of and have their weight. And they have their gravitas, if you will. One of the things I wanted to say is that many of us take the role of fathers for granted. We expect it. We energetically are used to it. And in reality, fathers take the heavy hit of whatever happens in society. Whatever happens in society, the father is expected to be the protector, the chivalrous one with his wife, and to make sure that the family is safe and provided for, no matter what. That's what we expect energetically, most of us, throughout time, throughout the passage of time. So the weight is heavy on fathers to function that way, to carry out that role no matter what. And many fathers, I would say most fathers throughout time, have had to endure terrible circumstances. All kinds of things have happened, and they're expected, and there's pressure for them to continue to provide and continue to protect no matter what. So for all the fathers, past, present, and future, who have not been acknowledged for doing that, in the toughest of times, I want to say thank you. And thank you on behalf of the, the daughters and sons who know that you did what you did to protect your family. Also, I want to acknowledge something unique about fathers, which is that in order to be in the role as a provider, a lot of fathers may decide at critical moments of their lives not to do the very work, the very profession, the very creative endeavors that they really want to do. They may find that they will deny that to themselves in order to be the provider that they're expected to be. And it's a tough situation because a lot of fathers have to carry the internal resonance of disappointment of things they couldn't do or elected not to do in order to be in that role. So we want to thank all the fathers throughout time, past, present, and future that sacrificed things you wanted to do for yourself and things you wanted to express but didn't and weren't able to do it. So thank you. I will say that I am definitely Lloyd Greenhouse's daughter. I am for sure a fruit of the tree of my father. My father was a... Uh, a magnetic guy. He was an MC, a natural born MC, master of ceremonies. He was a wonderful storyteller. He had a pretty volatile temper, very much like my mother did. And together there were some, there were some wild things that went on in our household. Um, he was an incredible golfer and, uh, 
he had a lot of friends, a lot of people that loved him and cared about him. He was known for a sense of humor and the adventures that people would experience when they were with him and around him. He was a natural born entertainer and he entertained a lot at the house and through events together. He would, he would, uh, throw events together and throw parties and a lot of times not even show up. People go, where's Buddy? And, and Buddy was the one who put the parties together. And he had a way about him. He had a, a kind of a wild spirit, kind of a uh, detached spirit about him. But he loved to laugh. He loved storytelling. He was a hardworking executive at the Gary Steele Company, where he sold and managed sales teams there. He did international business. He was known for his talks and his rapport with people internationally. He was incredibly well-dressed when I would remember every morning he would get up and get dressed and go to work. He looked fantastic. He was uh, dressed to the nines very much like my mother. He had on great cologne and he would leave and drive to Long Beach where he would go to the Gary Steele Company day after day after day. And something very strange would happen to him on the weekends. He would get in his golf pants and his golf outfit. The guy looked like he was in a flood most of the time. I mean, the, 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 they were at least three inches too short. And with the shoes and the top, sometimes he wore blue pants and a pink top. I don't know who my father became on the weekends, but I didn't recognize him. Um, I want to light a candle. I didn't get a chance to do this because I didn't think of it for Mother's Day. But I want to light a candle here for all the fathers who need to be remembered throughout time of all that you've sacrificed and and given both uh, to your children and to your wives and girlfriends. And uh, there are fathers that are not necessarily married, but they're fathers. And what is a father? What is a father? I think I'll just speak uh, extemporaneously, but a father to me is a man who has children, who has children with a woman that he Loves and sometimes he doesn't love. Sometimes he just has children with a woman and he looks after and maintains the care and well-being of his children and their children until they're uh, uh, coming of age and um, make sure that they have the teachings that are the wisdom teachings and important teachings that will help that child go through life and is a fantastic coach to their son or daughter, to his son or daughter. And I had the privilege of being um, the daughter of Lloyd Greenhouse. I had a lot of stress with my father. He was high strung. He was volatile. He was brilliant. He was funny. He was a great storyteller. He was an inquisitive guy. He could sit and talk to people for hours and hours and hours and ask all these questions of them till they were falling apart on the chair. He was a great master inquisitor too. He was kind of like Columbo. We were alive all together at the time in which the television shows of Mission Impossible, Mannix, Columbo, Star Trek, Secret Agent Man, Hawaii Five O, I Love Lucy, Carol Burnett, Batman and Robin, The Green Hornet, Felix the Cat, The Flintstones, my favorite Martian, Mr. Ed and Lassie were all around. All of this impacted and influenced fathers of the time. 
I want you to know that I want to share some stories with you about about my father. He was very funny. First of all, I want to tell you he was a he was a not a good golfer. He was a great golfer. And he used to bet his friends and associates that he would play golf with. He would bet them on the golf course. So there was a lot of competition. It was fierce. They had a great time. And my father would always give the the other players that he played with points because he was a really, really good golfer. I, I loved going to the golf course with him. I just loved it. And I, I he would let me drive the golf cart, and I would ask him, you know, every time he went, can I drive, can I drive? So finally, he lets me drive, and we're going up this incline, we're going up this hill, and he happens to have had his favorite customers in town, the Japanese. He had been to Japan many times. And lo and behold, and I didn't know this, but behind us was six Japanese men with their clubs hanging on to the cart with two guys in the front, two guys sitting in the back, and two guys hanging on the side. I mean, it was a full cart. Now, I don't know what happened to me, but as I'm driving and I'm all excited and we're going up the hill, I hit the button in reverse. I don't know what happened to me, how I did that. But the car backs into them, bumps into them, and all of a sudden, they're all everywhere, speaking in their language, yelling, screaming, laughing, and they're going literally down the hill, literally down the hill behind us. They're rolling down the hill, and my father completely loses it in the cart, busts up laughing, and, I mean, we he had to literally stop my the cart, our cart, from pushing them down the hill. It was a disaster. And to make it up, my father invited all of them to dinner. So they come for dinner. And (laughs) my mother's very excited about this. She gets to meet the wives and all these people that she's heard about. And they come in and we're all sitting at the dinner table. And one of the things that we had at the dinner table is we had a bird. We always had a bird. We had dogs. We had a bird. We had puppies. It was a very busy place. We had a bird named Bimbo. Now, Bimbo was a good bird. Okay. There's only one slight problem. Bimbo was being secretly taught how to swear in the privacy of the greenhouse family home by yours truly. <laughs> I, uh, I taught Bimbo some very bad stuff. I think I was like 10. And every night when we would have dinner, we would put towels around the birdcage so that Bimbo would not start squawking. But this night, we also put towels around the cage, and Bimbo was in the cage, and all of a sudden, we're all having dinner. It starts. Bimbo is ripping it. I mean ripping it with the swear words. And my father, for some reason, he looks at me. And my mother looks at me and everybody's looking at me like they're going to kill me. And all of a sudden, my mother starts banging things. My father starts banging things. They're humiliated in front of their customers and their guests that this bird is now spouting off these horrible words. Need I tell you the punishment that I had when this evening was done? I just said to them, take Bimbo. Let's uh, let's let Bimbo out. I think Bimbo needs to come out. Bimbo needs to come out, you know, and what needed to come out was I needed to be extracted from that family because 
This was so bad. My parents were literally ready to disown me at this time. They were so humiliated. I feel terrible even to this day. Now, Bimbo had a very bad demise later in life. We won't talk about that now. That's for another commentary. We had a few birds named Bimbo. It was not popular because they, they needed to be reincarnated a lot. You know, I don't know how the dogs got into the cage, but it was maybe there was a bear in our house. I'm not sure. My dad had a guy named Mel Ross that he used to play golf with. This was a very, very high-strung guy, too, and he would bet Mel. They'd bet a lot of money on the golf course. And one day, Mel, and there's like a lot of money's at stake. And I knew there was a lot of money at stake. So we go on to the putting green. Something made me move my foot. (laughs) I know it was bad. I know it was bad. I wanted my dad to win. So I moved my foot and Mel missed the putt. Mel was so upset. He took the entire bag of clubs and he threw it over the cliff at Pebble Beach. Pebble Beach is in Carmel in California. A huge cliff. He threw the whole thing over the, over the, over the cliff. My dad would have men coming apart at the seams on the golf course. And it was really funny to watch. It was a scene. It was a scene. To watch. I don't know how he did it. I don't know what exactly happened, but it was a scene. So we have like bimbo swearing at the table. We've got Mel Ross throwing his clubs over the cliff. We've got bets going on on the green. We've got me hitting the Japanese customers behind us and putting the golf cart in reverse. And them winding down the cliff. When I was in grade school, I really hated biology. I hated it. I thought it was just boring and then it got frightening. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not much into dissecting animals. Okay. But it came the time, I think it was sixth grade, we had to dissect animals. And the first thing I had to dissect was a frog which I totally resented. I mean, it's disgusting. It stinks of formaldehyde. The thing is like this, and you have to take it home. Who can eat? Who can think about anything with that thing in your room? Anyway, I went through the torture of that, and then finally we're given another assignment, and I'm told that I have to dissect a pig. Well, I almost came apart at the seams. I said, this is not going to happen. So I negotiated with another student who was brilliant, Tina Siminski, who was going to become a veterinarian and was really into all this. I don't know what I negotiated, but I got her to agree to dissect my pig because I wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. So I came home and one night we're sitting after dinner and I told my dad, I said, look, they're making me dissect another animal. I'm not going to do it. It's disgusting. I don't want to touch the pig. We eat pigs. You know, we have bacon once in a while. I can't do that and then eat the bacon. I can't do it. And he said, so what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to have Tina Siminski take care of this for me. I don't need to do this. She loves it. Let her do it. She's going to become a vet. It's not for me. So he looked at me and he said, we need to talk. And I said, okay. He said, you know, there's going to be a lot of things in your life you don't like doing. You don't want to do it. And they're disgusting to you. It's disgusting. It disgusts you. He goes, and sometimes in life, you have to cut the pig. You just got to cut the pig. So I want you to cut the pig. Do it. And if you need help doing it, that's different. But don't turn the assignment over to somebody else. Get it done. Cut the pig, Kim. 
And I thought that was a very wise thing my father said to me. Very, very wise on noticing I needed help, but not making me wrong and passing the wisdom of the transmission of why it's important to do it. Not because I liked it, not because it wasn't disgusting to me, but because it needed to be done. I needed to face something that was uncomfortable to me and do it. And I did. With Tina's help. <laughs> With Tina's help. Here's the, here's the Tina Siminski. I hope you're still alive. I don't know if you're still alive, but if you are, thanks for the help. You know, in the Mother's Day special I did, I talked about my mother, Joanne, and that my mother had a volatile temper. Well, my father had a volatile temper, and I needed some help in tournament tennis. I was on a free list. I used to get free rackets and wood and then and, and metal, and I crack them in half, just crack them in half. I went through a lot of rackets even before that. And I had a pretty bad temper, and my father said to me, we need to talk, and I have an idea for you. I have this great idea for you. Here's what's going to happen. When you're angry and upset on the tennis court, what I want you to do is pace yourself. I want you to walk over to the corner of the court, and I want you to bounce the ball, and I want you to count, okay? And I want you to say, while you're, while you're bouncing the ball and you're counting, I want you to say every bad word you know. Everything. Let it rip. I mean everything. Let it out, baby. Let it out. And I said, okay, I'll try that. So I get into this match. It's in Los Angeles. And I'm playing like hell. I mean hell. I'm ready to break all the rackets I have. I go over to the corner of the court. I bounce the ball. And I start to swear. I start to completely unload at that corner. I'm bouncing the ball. It's like a minute or two. I go back to the service line. I bounce the ball and I serve. Anyway, the match ends and my father runs on the tennis court laughing. And he says to me, you're never going to believe what happened. I said, what? He goes, you're Mrs. Malpezzi was, came up to me afterward and said, Lloyd Greenhouse, you're going to have to do something about your daughter's mouth. You can't believe what came out of her mouth. It was terrible, terrible. I mean, she was a devout Catholic on top of it. And my father said, well, how did you even hear it? And she says, I was sitting in a little beach chair in the corner down on the floor. And my father just about lost it. I never saw the woman. I never saw the woman. I swear to God, I never saw the woman. She was apparently right there in the corner. So I'm bouncing the ball and totally swearing. She's right there on the ground. So the moral of the story, <laughs> the moral of the story is sometimes your parents will give you really, really good advice, but you have to be present and check in. Make sure it's appropriate at the time you're doing it. In other words, look down, see if Mrs. Malpezzi is in the corner on her little beach chair. And if you want to unload at that point, or should you go to the other corner of the court and unload? Who thought? I never looked. Always look up, look down, see what's there. Notice the ambiance. That was a really, uh, that was a really interesting exercise. And that woman was never the same, by the way. Never, never the same. Mrs. Malpezzi 
Probably has never heard such a thing in her life. She's probably passed on by now, but I bet her daughter may be still alive. My dad really enjoyed laughing and doing novel things. So one day, we're all having dinner at the table. And he come, before we were having dinner, he comes in, he goes, guess what I'm doing? And we all said, what? He goes, I'm going to record us at the dinner table. We were like, for what reason? You know, he goes, I just want to hear it. All right, fine. He puts the recorder behind him and we have dinner. Now, we're not, we don't know what to expect. We're not even, we even, we don't even remember after a few minutes that the recorder's there (laughs) because it's behind him. So we finished the dinner. He goes, okay, now I'm going to play our dinner hour. (laughs) My dad brings it out. He puts it on the table and he hits play. All we heard was pass to this, pass to that, clanking and banking. The All we heard was like knives and forks and banking and the tables and this. And like, you never heard, where was the conversation? It was all pass the food, da, 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 all this clanking and banking. We laughed so hard at the table. It was insane. Like, where was the conversation? There was that. We, I, I don't remember hearing a conversation. We just roared. We roared. So I just wanted to tell you that, you know, dinner hour could be a kind of heavy place. There was a lot of years I, I wouldn't sit at a dinner table because there was such tension at dinner hour. My dad would come home from work and whatever happened that day. And my mother would spend hours on the meal and she's tense if everything is all connected right. And then, of course, if you listen to the Mother's Day special, you know that the phone would ring during the dinner hour. And, of course, who would it be? The cab company <laughs> who was terrorized by my mother. And uh, my father taught me. My father was really great at this. My father trained me how to answer the phone and how to screen calls for him. He trained me so well that his friends were ready to kill me. (laughs) They were like, please, let's not talk to Buddy Greenhouse's daughter, Kim. Please, let's anything. Don't put that lady on the, don't put her on the phone. So they would call and, and, and somebody would say, uh, is this Greenhouse residence? I said, yes. Well, who is this? I said, well, who is this? You're calling us. Who is this? And they would go, well, this is uh, Nate. I said, well, hello, Nate. We're in the middle of dinner right now. Can I take a message for dad? Uh, I need to speak to your father. I said, Nate, it's not going to happen. We're in the dinner hour right now, and I, I'll take your message for you. Whatever. They would go out. They were dreading me answering the phone. My dad would laugh so hard at the table, having me be his gatekeeper, you know, so this went on a lot too. So I learned how to be a gatekeeper for him and how to finesse these calls. And they would go out of their mind. Sometimes they would play with me and they'd say, well, I'd like to speak to Lloyd. And I said, well, Lloyd's occupied right now. Can I take a message? You know, <laughs> like they thought they were calling a corporate office or something like that. So I used to do that. And uh, let's see. Now let's talk about some serious stuff. Are you ready? You know, we don't know when our parents are going to pass on. Sometimes you have advance notice. Sometimes you don't have advance notice. And different people are responding differently at different times in the process. You know, uh, my father was married to my mother for 55 years. And his whole life was her. Aside from his work. And he was not the kind of person that was going to you know, stand by easily 
and not have his wife with him. He was that that was not going to happen. He had to have Joanne with him. And when she got Alzheimer's, his life critically changed and eventually he became her caregiver, which is a very tough role for a parent, a, a husband or a wife to be the caregiver for their husband or wife, particularly in an Alzheimer's situation because you're watching your partner disintegrate in front of you. And so he suffered a lot doing that. And um, I remember that there was a time he could not live with her and he could not live without her. And he gathered my sisters and I together. And he said, I want you all to know that I'm going to die soon. I'm ready to go. I want to die. And he started to cry and he said, I can't live with your mother and I can't live without her. And I don't want to be here anymore. I can't watch this. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. He goes, I've done everything I can do. I'm at the end of my life. I've had a good life and I'm ready. And of course, each daughter responded differently to that. My older sister, my younger sister, and myself. When that meeting ended, um, I stayed in the room because in, in, in Jewish families, you do not cremate, you bury. But my father wanted to be buried. Uh, excuse me, wanted to be cremated. Lloyd Greenhouse wanted to be cremated. And so he asked if I would spread his ashes at three locations. First he asked, would you? And I said, well, you know, you gave me such a rough time in life. I ha- we have to make a deal. And he goes, what deal? And I said, well, you know, I've been traveling all over to set up a new network for humankind that you don't understand yet. And um, I really want your support when you transition and you pass out, you pass over. I want your support from heaven to open doors for me. And I said, you haven't done that in your life. And you've been very reluctant to be supportive of what I've been doing, but I need it. And I'll spread your ashes, but I want you to promise me to do that. And he laughed and he said, okay. I said, don't, you know, don't just tell me, okay, but don't do it. I want you to do it. Open the door, swing open the doors for me. And he said, okay, I'll do it. I said, okay, you got a deal. So at the time of his passing, I did exactly what he asked. He asked to have his ashes spread at Roxbury Park near the tennis courts at the first hole on the golf course at Rancho Park in Los Angeles and in both gardens, the front and the backyard of the home he shared with my mother and the family. And I agreed to do it. And that's exactly what I did. The thing that you don't always know, at the time of the death of a parent, a lot of families can be polarized or the polarization can happen afterwards. So all the unfinished business and the family comes to a head and is revealed. It turns out that um, at the cremation time event, they brought my father out in a cardboard box And I was very, very shocked and upset to receive my father in a cardboard box. I felt 
angry that, and it was undignified to bring him out like that. I wanted someone to have told me, but nobody told me. So it was shocking. And I remember looking at him in a white sheet and thinking, I wish this could have been different, but this is how it is. And I had on a, it's rainmaking time necklace that I had made blue said it's rainmaking time. I think it had, I don't, I don't remember if it was gold here or silver. And I took it off and I had the person who had brought him out lift his head up and I put it around his neck. And I said to him, even though he wasn't there anymore, you are being cremated with its rainmaking time to make sure you, <laughs> you keep your promise to me. You're, we're burning it all up together. And you're, you know, you can't escape. It's rainmaking time because it's rainmaking time and you have a deal. We have a deal in heaven. We have a deal. And then he went in and was cremated and the head of the mortuary brought his remains back to me on the set on a show I did called the business of death. And, uh, it was a strange experience. I had, um, my friend Faribors and his daughter Layla with me to do this cremation event. And I'm glad I wasn't alone there that day. Um, so if you have the opportunity, whether you're of the tradition or not, to be with a close friend um, who's saying goodbye to their parent or parents, it's a good thing to be with them because it's different than a traditional funeral. It feels more empty. It feels more vacuous. And unless you have some type of minister or spiritual person there, it's really painful. It's a painful, isolating kind of event. And most of his friends, by the time he passed, were had passed as well. He was 79 when he passed. My mother passed at 79 as well, but she passed five years after him. And it's interesting that before he passed, he said, your mother will last five years and then she's going to pass. He was... He was also very tuned in. He had a feeling about it. Um, he, I remember running out of the house and uh, with my hair wet. I mean, I would a lot of times run out of the house and be off to do something. I remember flying by him. He was outside in the front yard and he said, hold it, hold it. Look, smell the roses. Smell the roses, Kim. I was in my 20s, I think, early. And... Um, I just remember the event. I remember seeing him and running out. And he goes, your hair is wet. I said, I know it's okay. <laughs> and I ran out to do what I was doing. I mean, I was a lot like my father running around all the time, going to events, you know, going to concerts um, with friends, clubhouses. We had clubhouses. We had clubs we created three in three houses. There was a lot of action going on, but I will definitely say that, my father gave up a lot of things like he had an opportunity to become an owner of a business. He gave it up because he was concerned. He didn't want to lose the nest that he had created for his family. And so there was a lot of resentment that he didn't become an owner of a company, even though he was an entrepreneurial guy. And he carried that, I think, almost into his death. There's a lot of men that will and fathers that will carry things because they are providers and don't want to risk losing the nest for their family. And so uh, 
I want to honor you and uh, speak to you and just say thank you for your sacrifices. We know that women sacrifice a lot for their children and men sacrifice. Their sacrifices are different and father's sacrifices are different. A lot of times uh, people think that a father is simply um, a man who impregnated a woman and dropped his seed in her and that uh, at the level of biology that's sufficient. We all know that's not sufficient that it takes a lot more to be a father than a a biological agent. And so we want to thank all the fathers that are there and continue to be there for your children and for your wife or your loved one and helping bring in wisdom and bring in a peacefulness and bring in strength and confidence and courage and um, a lot of the things that are needed in life, particularly at this time of life. I want to thank my father for instilling in me a sense of consciousness, I would say, a consciousness and awareness about social interaction. My mother did that as well. Uh, for instilling in me a sense of humor with all things in life, the ability to tell stories and share stories along the way in life and to uh, not give up. My father was one of my biggest uh, fans, even though the way he expressed it was, how do you say, um, mixed, always mixed. But he loved his daughter and he loved all of his daughters very much and very differently. And sometimes I think we think that because parents love their children differently that they love them better or certain ones better and I just that sometimes is true but what's also true is that parents have different connections and rapports to their children that are expressed differently we don't know why but they are and um, uh, my father definitely loved his wife and my mother Joanne to the end of the earth and loved his children all of them Karen Jackie and myself Sometimes um, you have revelations in throughout life and you learn things about your parents later in life that are revealed to you in their own time, not necessarily in the time that you want, not necessarily in the time you believed it should have been revealed. You learn your parents as you live and experience life not always in their presence, oftentimes not in their presence, sometimes in their presence, and a lot of times after their passing. The relationship continues, the connection continues, however, differently. And um, uh, I believe that as we do our own healing, as we do our own mending, as we do our own internal house cleaning, We have a chance to get to know our parents better in time. You know, like my father's father, my grandparents were great, really, really great, lovely grandparents. However, uh, 
My father was an only child and his father wanted him in his business. So for a while he was in the insurance business and then he left it. He had a lot of personal issues with his father. And of course, that's a grandfather of a certain time frame in life. My father was also in the war. He was a radio announcer in the war. He was uh, he was stationed in Nice, France, and uh, he he told a lot of stories to us. One of the things my dad used to do is uh, he would put us to bed at night. Uh, my mother would, but also my father would come in, and he would tell me stories of something called like Johnny in the airplane. I don't know what it was. He would do this whole thing about Johnny in the airplane is flying and the plane is flying. And I remember looking at his hand and he goes, and whatever were the stories, by the time Johnny landed the plane, I was out cold. <laughs> My dad would tell me these great stories. And um, we would go to all the baseball games, basketball games, football games. We were at a lot of baseball games. And I remember hearing the sound of the baseball when I would sleep, would put me to sleep. My dad would come in, he'd turn on the baseball game, he'd talk to me, and before you know it, I'm hearing the, the ball being cracked, and then I'd be asleep. But I want to say that um, my father instilled a lot of things that he didn't know at the time he was alive that are with me, that are carried with me, that are emanating and pulsating in me, and I am grateful for those, most of them. <laughs> Most of them. I don't know about the temper part. The temper part is like a real ripper. But um, uh, everything else I would say, even though he gave me the hardest time, I would say, between the three sisters. The hardest time. Of course, I was the one that was kind of off the charts with what I felt needed to be done in society and what needed to be set up and why. So he didn't understand me. He was like, why don't you just sell real estate or... You know, get a job as an office manager. It's not going to happen. I can barely manage the papers I have on my desk right now. That would have been the worst run office in the world. <laughs> but anyway, I want you all to know that uh, before Father's Day and the honoring of fathers is taken away from society by some very strange and demented controllers of the world. I want this Father's Day us to honor our fathers Remember the good things we can about our fathers, if we can. Not all fathers are good. Not all fathers are great. Not all fathers are nice. Not all fathers are good people. But most of them are. And so I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. Thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in. This is Kim Greenhouse, and it's rainmaking time. Thank you very much. I think this is a temporary wrap. Until the next time.